Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. I'm Michael Fragan. We're talking politics here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org. And once again, this week, we're sponsored by Community First, which is dedicated to educating and informing the Jewish community for a deeper understanding and appreciation of the political system. Executive Assistant of Rummy here in the control booth. Welcome, everyone. Coming to you from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, the cradle of Jewish civilization here in New York. And once again, we have an exciting show for everyone because, of course, politics is always exciting, isn't it? We all love to love it and hate it both at the same time. And fortunately for our community, we can appreciate politics on both sides of the Atlantic very keenly because it affects us so much. And as we mentioned, elections coming up very, very, very soon. That was three varies in the Holy Land, in Israel. And so we are going to bring you some insight and understanding of the January 22nd election coming up in Israel. We have a very special guest who came in from the Holy Land to help us uh, get a rundown as he heads back for the final stretch before January 22nd. And I think a lot of political parties are advertising, a lot of the political figures in Israel are saying that this is the most important election ever. Of course, we know in politics those that, that everybody, every candidate always says this is the most important election ever. When is it not the most important election? When is the person running going to say, eh, it's not really that important? If they're running, if they're in it, it's really important. But we know that some of the issues in Israel are existential. So in the studio, we are pleased to have Mark Provisor, a American from Philadelphia who made Aliyah back in 1978, but he still remembers how the U.S. was and still has a very good understanding both of the American scene and the Israeli scene. And Mark directs security projects for the One Israel Fund, for the communities of Yudan Shomron, where security is, in fact, existential. So he is also a member of the Likud Central Committee. So not, of course, as many people we have, not uninterested in politics. Of course, we wouldn't have him on the show otherwise. Mark, welcome to Spin Class, and welcome to Grand Street, to the Grand Street headquarters of the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, it's always great to be in the cradle of Jewish civilization of, of the United States. <laughs> well, so I was going to say is that Mark, I've met Mark in Shiloh, which of course is a, another type of cradle of Jewish civilization. Well, I could be wrong. But <laughs> exactly. So I hope he wasn't offended by talking about the Lower East Side in such terms. But Mark, let's jump into things. Talk about what, what are the expectations for January 22nd? We know that Israeli politics are not entirely similar to what we have here in the U.S. It's different. It's party. It's parliamentary based. Of course, people vote for their party and it's a lot more diverse. It's more than two parties. It's multi-party. It's messy. It's exciting. Absolutely. So give us a rundown and how do things look? Well, if we go according to the polls, you know, every other poll predicts another another solution, another outcome. And obviously every day it's something else. In the same day you have one poll saying, well, the Likud's up to this, they're going up, they're going down. And of course you have the labor, they're going up and going down. And along comes this other party from nowhere, the NRP, Bait Yudi, 
all of a sudden they're up and running. Naftali Bennett. And then that's the old NRP. That's the old Mafdal. That is the Mafdal. Yes, so absolutely. Actually, Kipasruga, the modern Orthodox. This modern would be a good time, I guess, to unpack that a little bit to talk about how we have different names for the parties all the time in in, in Israel. It's, right. it's tough to figure out who's who, and people change. We have the same problem we here. Ha- it's all right. Uh, right. So, who when when they put together uh, Naftali Bennett's party, who who who's well, in and well, who's out? Okay. Let's so think let's. Of it. First of all. Uh, it's not a party. It's a list. It's exactly. It's okay. a list. And then the NRP was basically made up of what we call the Kippah Srugah, the Nidid Kippah, the National Religious, the Religious Zionists, and so on. That that was the gist of the party. Uh, they were going down and down and down. And then uh, basically Naftali decided that he wanted to get into politics after his uh, run in, in Moetzit Yesha, as the head of Moetzit Yesha, uh, the Mankal, the CEO. And Naftali Bennett is a, just by way of introduction for those of you out there, is a tech success story in Israel. He's a multimillionaire who served as chief of staff to Bibi Netanyahu and then left and now is running on his own list. He's not part of... Oh, he was never part of Likud, really, in in that sense. He wasn't running for anyone. He just decided that he wanted to get into politics. And then uh, in Israel, like you said, you mentioned a lot of parties. And one of the biggest messes is that usually people, everyone decides to start a new party. And every time that someone decides to start a new party, what do they do? They harm everyone else so in israel it's a you know when we learn in kindergarten usually or, or nursery school to share that's one of the lessons that israeli politicians really never get so they always want to start something else uh naftali decided that's, that's shocking that politicians would behave that way can anywhere. you imagine right sharing okay god forbid please continue but anyway naftali decided to uh join up with the nrp the mavdal and they had primaries where he actually went against zvulun or lev who was at that time who was going to lead the party Naftali won. He won. Very simple. And, uh, and since that time, we've been watching a constant increase in the amount of seats, mandates, and voters. And it's, uh, it's really taking Israel by the storm. And if we have to say something that's exciting, that's what's exciting. Because we're not seeing the old school, the old Likud school, the old labor school. Uh, Kadima has basically been shattered, right, between uh, Tzipi Livni and uh, Shaul Mofaz. Whether you want to call it infighting, Yari Lapid's coming up, I mean... But Naftali is the, uh, he's been the up and coming star because every time someone criticizes him, he gets more mandates. And uh, so that's what we're waiting for, we're waiting to see what goes on with that. Well, there's no shortage of criticism amongst politicians in Israel in the, uh, you know, the advertising. And I-, I marvel every day when I see another one party going to the election commission or to the court to try and stop another's advertising it's, right absolutely it's, it seems to be pretty much every day that that happens well it's <laughs> at least once or twice right at least, so every, everybody really gets along very nicely but let, let's talk about in israel you have left right center you have the haredi parties who potentially could go either way uh in a government it, it's all about cobbling together a coalition so it's not a zero-sum game that. Oh, definitely not. Okay, so then, so how does how does that shake out? There's all kinds of machinations going on about who could combine with who and eventually form a government. Well, that's 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 the mess right now, if you will, because we have so far in the latest polls we have Likud as taking the most votes. So they say, okay, we're going to have a government at least headed by Netanyahu. How he makes the deal—that's Likud Beitenu is Likud is Likud Beitenu. Okay, correct. So Likud Beitenu. Likud absolutely. is not running on on its. Own. Just its own list. Correct. And many are saying that now that is a, was a major mistake that they made. Explain. That uh, by hooking up with, uh, with Lieberman, they have actually lost mandates. And 
you know, I guess I could. Why, why would that be? If you take a strong party and a strong party and put because them together? Because it's not necessarily a strong party. Israelis have been looking for a direction, a defined direction. And instead of playing all the political games, Israel, your, your Israeli public, if you will, are tired of the games. They're tired of a politician saying one thing and acting another, like most politicians do. But in Israel, we're a small country. And all of a sudden, you had Likud Beitenu. So where are they going? Are they for a, uh, an Arab, new Arab state or not? Because we never, you never get the messages straight. People saw them get together. And again, we had also, what, what about the religious issues? So it was very wishy-washy, and it caused a lot of Likud voters now to move over. And mind you, those also in move, the central community. Move to where? Well, Bayit Yudi. Bayit Yudi. The Jewish home, actually. If we're gonna, Instead of saying the NRP, mm-hmm. let's really translate it to what it is. Bayit Yudi, the Jewish home. And this has gotten much more support, not just among formerly Likud or the religious Zionist movement, but along many secular Israelis. 43%, I think was the last polls, if you, whatever credence you want to give them, is the amount of secular voters there, which is something incredible, and under 40. So all of a sudden you're having this new young party coming up in the ranks, and it's got the other parties scared. What about the religious issue or the religious components? The In my mind certainly don't consider myself an expert at all in this, but the the religious parties have have struggled uh, over the last uh, decades or so. Uh, not just the Mafdal, but also if you take uh, United Torah Judaism, Gimel, whatever, uh, which right. is also an amalgamation of different parties, they, they've essentially stayed stagnant at five seats, despite the fact that the Haredi population has has gone up tremendously. Shas has its own issues. They've 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 also they've, they fluctuate. Right, they fluctuated a little bit, although they have an appeal that seems to, that crosses religious secular. Mm. Well, at least that's the <laughs> that's what they're trying. That's for. that's the thought is that it's a, it's an ethnic appeal as opposed to exactly. a, a straight religious exactly. appeal. And now you have an Absalom coming in there also with his ethnic appeal, if you will. Right. So we're do just gauge for me how religious voters. When they look at it, do, what, of, what's what's their decision as far as voting for a religious party or voting for a party that's uh, that's not religious or that that's that's focus is not religious? Is it is it entirely okay? This is my I'm Kipas Ruga. I'm a I'm a black cat. I have to vote this it's way. It's changing. It's changing. Okay, it's, so it's so the situation changing. is more fluid. That's that's the thing. Sure. Well, you know, I, I say at, at the dinner I was at the the dinner for Beto wrote yesterday. Beto wrote, yeah. Mind you, they had Naftali speaking a little bit, and he was talking about sectarian. Uh, voting, and whereas you still have uh, various uh, religious parties who say, "Well, I have to vote for them." If you're going to say the Haredi Ashkenazi parties, they're going to say, "Sure, I'm voting for you know Aguda," or or mind you, some of the the Svardi Haredi parties say, "Yes, definitely Shas." But things are changing because there's a lot of other issues there now in the modern religious world. I don't know whether I would call it modern religious world in the religious Zionist world. People are beginning to think we're not going to vote because uh, of. Uh, religious affiliation it's time it's we have to vote according to the country what the country best needs not just for our our fellow or, or people who worship as we do but for everyone there's more achdut that we're seeing now it doesn't matter whether you're chiloni or dati we have to vote and work towards a better country for klalaam for everybody and that's where you're that's what you're seeing happening right now so the appeal if let me get this right, that Bennett is coming forward with is not necessarily it's 
he's taken the religious party but brought it to we're a, everywhere a different to brought it to a different level is Absolutely. or to a different saying okay this is not about strictly about our specific interests anymore this shows exactly what society is about right now in israel this religious zionist thing it's not like they're a, a little branch of something they're totally included in every aspect of israeli society if we start from Tzahal, which is let's say our you know our, our main thing that for a lot of jews overseas officers everywhere in in the high-tech business everywhere you're seeing you're seeing religious people now so it's no longer a separate issue that's what's happening that's the appeal right now of by 2d but i wouldn't say i guess the polls have 15 17 seats back and forth for right. for, for, for by Yehudi. it's not it's not a situation where you're talking about 20% of the population is right. of us. So there must be other voters coming together voting for other I, parties or uh, other voters now coming to go and vote for by Yehudi who are not well, religious the, Zionists. And, exactly. So uh, I'm sure that there are possibly some Haredi voters or some sh- former Shas voters potentially, or even secular voters who are well, coming, coming, coming across 43%. Right. Are actually secular. Right. It's uh so it, it it's, and, and were there secular elements of the parties that were, cobbled together there are secular people on the list correct? on the list there were there were so not how does that prior work? to naftali there were not secular okay. elements so that that's kind of what i was getting at explain right. that well he brought in ayelet and you know she was also in bb's uh workforce if ayelet okay we'll just we'll, we'll stick with the one name we'll it's, it's a middle eastern tradition exactly. to have one name anyway exactly uh so she came about but again naftali's appeal is also to uh to some of the secular committee because they're seeing a guy living out in Ranana who worked with high tech, uh, served in Sayyid Matkal. And again, so it, it just has that appeal. It's not, uh, I mean, look at the visuals. You know, the visuals is he's like the everyday guy walking down the street. And this is what's attracting more and more people. And again, like I said, his his message of that, of, uh, of the Jewish home, you know, having a little bit of Masoret. He's not throwing the religion away, mind you. It's very much a part of what's going on, the Bayit Yudi. And people like that. I mean, Tachlis, as they say, where are we? We're in Israel. We're in a Jewish nation. We don't have to throw away our Judaism. We can work with it. And that's, again, where we're getting more and more... I don't like using the word secular. Uh, more and more Jews are voting for him. Let's put it that way. And that's... Uh, I mean, I find it really refreshing. Well, certainly, if it certainly flies in the face of the the traditional conceptions of sectarian politics mm. in, in Israel with uh, everybody being conditioned and growing up and going ahead and voting a certain way because that's the community that you live in. But give me an idea of based on where you live and the people that you're that are around you and I guess even for you being a Likud member. Yeah. Uh, so uh, two questions. Number one is what, what are the most of the people in your area who live in the, who live in the Yishuvim of, of the Binyamin and Shomron? Uh, how are the, what is their inclination? Are they, you know, where does, you know, where, where are they headed? Also, how, where did we could fail to have a good message for you? First of all, we're seeing a, a lot of it in my area. I'm from Shiloh and mind you, they say, I don't, Yes, the settler movement and so on. Uh, are a lot of them are f- moving over to buy at UD. And like I said, even though I'm in the Central Committee for Likud, seeing a where lot had of, they been? Well, it used to. Well, there was traditional always Mavdal and Likud. That's definitely where it was. But now you're seeing uh, 
uh, we're seeing more of the young people getting involved in that and not I think Likud has had a much stronger setting if we look at the elections the prior elections Likud was the majority in 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 the Yishuvim uh, and it's by Judea is just is really moving up and we're actually seeing panic among the Likud they can't figure out what's going on why are they losing so many voters and that's uh, that's I guess you'd have to say Ophiani uh, that is um that's but, what's showing right now. But you're part of the Likud party, so yeah. so where where did it fail? Well, I'm, I'm very I'm very upset with the the way the Likud is went. Ah, so please I, so I explain straight out. You know, I'm I'm upset. And, and again, I work in the world of security. Tell us how so you feel. I it. Well, I don't think you could transmit it. You know, okay. on the radio there are FCC laws. Okay, but I I. Uh, Avrami, we can I, we can. Uh, Avrami's yeah. got his beep ready. Exactly. Yeah, you keep okay. it ready, right? No, it's, it's all right. No, I am definitely peeved. So. Uh, Look, again, like I said, I do work in the security world, and I see that the Likud is not addressing a lot of issues uh, when it comes ground level, and I don't like that. I don't like the way that they've been negotiating with the Arabs. I don't like the way they're negotiating with the world. And I'm, myself, I'm getting tired of that little political games that they're playing. It's enough. It's enough. Uh, we want to move forward. We don't want to say stagnant, because that's exactly what's been happening. And again, I am not alone in that. Uh, my age group, my age group, yeah. I'm a little older than I guess that I, I, I want to consider it. But let's say the, the under 40s are also with that. They're looking for a new answer, and, and they're finding it. Uh, Naftali's been setting a, a direction, and it's something that speaks to a lot of the younger people, dealing with a lot of issues from social, security, and uh, religiously. So let's step out of the Likud or the, the right for a second, talk a, I, I don't even know who's on the center or the left because... Uh, Depending on what you read, uh, labor is in the middle, and right, uh, it used to be labor used to be left, but now they're center. <laughs> now, exactly, and, right, and so, Kadima, and who knows what? Who knows what? But Kadima, for ex- for example, I mean, Shaul Mafaz, I, I, on paper would seem to be would seem to be w- w- okay, exactly. Would, his his would seem to be a ideal frontman right. candidate for right. a party. Didn't you think about that, or maybe even for, for a defense minister? Exactly, his advisors took him down. His advisors, they started giving him things. He started talking about, about well, the concept of the, the Palestinian state and giving up and everything. And these are things that people who have actually spoken to Shul Mufaz realized that this is not the thoughts of that guy. And once, so once that came out, people were saying, to wishy-washy. We're not, we're not seeing any direction. And when you have, and you're sitting in an area right now where most Israelis already do not see any possible peace partner, if you want to call it that. Uh, so... Again, Kadima just trashed, and and when when Sippy and Shaul started going at each other's throats, he says like, okay, so what's going on? Now we have the new player, of course, you know, Yair Lapid, good-looking young guy, secular. He's out there, and he's been playing both sides. So people aren't sure. Every he's like, maybe he's centrist, maybe, but you're not you're not sure. Again, what happens is it's the big marketplace, and the minute the day after the elections, that's where we're going to see all the hunters out there going. Who's going to sell what? Who's going to give me? Who's going to budget more? And uh, we, we don't even know who's center anymore. So there might be no way to figure out exactly what's going to happen until it actually happens. As they say in French, "A colmina shemaim." Okay, but uh, it's our job also here. At least uh, when I was in shul this morning, I understand that. But if uh, here on the radio, I got to give something, something, Again, something to the listeners. Well, that's why people, if people are wondering why is this Bayit UD party going further up, they are staying consistent with their message. And this is something that people understand. They're not watching in a sense, if we look at the Likud list, very right-wing list, 
Yes. But then we're seeing Bibi uh, is looking out, looking towards Livni, with God knows why or something. And then he's looking not towards a more centrist left wing. He's making those moves. So you have a Likud list that's right, yet Bibi's searching somewhere else. So it's confusing. And people are tired of being confused. You would figure that he would wait till after the election. You would figure, yeah. But again, Israeli politics. So, so why just, why isn't he more vulnerable? Why isn't who more vulnerable? Bibi. I'm saying personally. I, th- I, I certainly. Who says he's not vulnerable? I, well, he's losing. He's losing mandates. That's what I'm. That's what like I'm crazy. asking. He's okay. vulnerable in a big way. So he he is vulnerable to as a prime minister candidate or the, the not Likud? a prime minister yet. Okay. Soon, eventually, you're going to see people up and coming in the Likud. You will see a change. But I'm talking about for this election specifically. This election, he's, because, the, fr- he's the head he, of the Likud. He's the front runner. Absolutely. And, and certainly he is the odds-on choice to be the one to form a government. Correct. So what I'm saying is if the Likud has such weakness, or at least there is a there's a lack of, of depth of support yeah. for Likud Beitenu, given the issues around Beitenu and, and Lieberman, as it will, were, what I'm trying to understand is how why there isn't why there's no competition why hasn't anybody stepped up is there nobody is there, I, I i don't think there is anybody I, I, because otherwise we would have seen something i mean I hope barack uh, retired and uh, who knows if he was really wait a, hold, hold, is okay. there anybody what as a, as a candidate for the anybody to kind of counter to be a oh in likud we've no in in, in the israeli political firmament out there well, is there a counter to bibi well, it doesn't see it just seems to be about bibi the country is and moving. what kind and what kind of government he'll form whether it will be an all right wing government whether he'll have this party in this party out that seems to be the, so that's the odds on right. uh, the odds on choice there doesn't seem to be a why isn't there no one else up there right that, well that, first of all the country again is 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 actually veering. There's no right. shortage of opportunists. No, but the, but again, the country is veering to the right, and the Likud, as centrist or as leftist, what they're further to the right than the other parties. Okay, then let's say Naftali or uh, comparing them to Labor, and people are voting that. And Bibi at this point is still in charge of the party. He is the prime candidate, and that's why there's no one up there. Is Shelley? Could she take it? She started actually for last week. She started talking, saying, "Hey." Maybe we can do it. They started talking about a, a new block. You know, maybe they can actually form. Remember, once the government, once you have the uh, the elections, the president turns to the largest, uh, the leader, and says, okay, you have the first chance to form a government. Mm-hmm. What would happen, theoretically, if everyone said, no, we don't want to sit with you? If, let's say, Shelley and, uh, I mean, and Naftali, Lo'alenu, right? But if, if they would actually get together, and then other parties would say, then the Likud would not, Bibi would not be prime minister. And the person who had that, those numbers could be. I mean, everything's possible. But in the meantime, right now, the Likud is the only answer for people who have, who want to veer, at least stay on a little bit of the right side. From that, from that reasoning, you would figure that more voters would be going to the Likud to make sure that, 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 that he's strengthened. Instead, they might be going, what going you're saying further. is that instead they're going to further. Well, they're going to Naftali, or even or further, if there is further to the right. I'm well, not, I'm just if, saying they're they're moving if more they, to Naftali. If they're moving, so they're moving further to the right, but potentially that that doesn't strengthen uh, right now. That okay. Let's say that something happens again. It's all in theory, and uh, Naftali is uh, a rookie in the field. But uh, the simple fact is, uh, imagine in another four years, if if the government, you know, if they don't disband it before like they always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Well, this was good timing for for BB to call elections. Strategic. I think it was very stri- very strategic. smart, strategic. Uh, yep. That's one advantage that the head of government has in Israel versus in the Absolutely. U.S. Uh, Who knows? Although right? in here it's a little more predictable, and I. Uh, well, Let's say if Baituti actually does answer the call to all their voters and other people see a good record, who knows? Maybe we will in the next elections have a good race on. Is it? Is there a possibility that you see a Kadima? Kadima's finished. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Kadima. Uh, what's uh, Tippi Livni's uh, party uh, called? It's called Sippy. <laughs> that, that's finished. You know. Until she learns to smile, is it, she's is not it, getting votes. Is it there? So she won't. She will also decline in mandates. From what they have, she barely has any mandate. Well, she has. Didn't she take a log seven or something with her? That's uh again, and then we look at it, and she's continuing to go down. Also. Right, right. No one's going up except uh, by two D. Uh, Labor goes up and down. Yeah, Irlapid's been getting here and there, uh, but uh, really, that's pretty much it. And uh, so that's why it looks like we're going to have a hell of a race on our hands. One that will possibly be one of the more, one of the be one of the more. Uh, I would say substantial elections that we've had in a long time. So there's time. real choices out there for the... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and remember, there's social issues up also. Right. Which is another reason. I know I sound like a commercial for Bayat-UD in a sense, but but again, people are looking at that. Here they're saying, here's a guy who was also decent with business. And so we're looking at the... I guess the near Barkat model in... Uh, in, in a in, sense. In Yerushalayim, yeah, yeah. Right? And I happen to like near Barkat, mind okay. you, but uh, yeah. Okay. So very quickly, I wanted to talk a little bit, I guess, about the matzav. The matzav. Uh, to, yes. So to talk about the situation, it seems that there might it, there might be, or at least it seems that they, there is a rapprochement coming along for Fatah and uh, Hamas. Is, is that is that something just in the eye of the media, or that I think that's real? mostly in the eye of the media. And if we look tachlis uh, down in, in the shetach, as we say uh, in Yudan Shemron, I'm not even going to get into Gaza. Uh, the Hamas is gaining strength. They're already talking about how they're going to take over Fatah again. One of the main reasons that uh, the United States is supporting Fatah and sends money is to stop that from happening. But when you get down ground level, they're they're just they're gaining more and more power. And it's you know if they you ever think why aren't they having elections? Why do they keep on putting off elections on their side? It's a problem. I mean to understand the Arab society, it's each city, each town is really different. They're gaining, and they are not talking peace. Right. I I think one interesting, uh, or potentially eye opener. It should be more of an eye opener. Was uh, Khaled Mashal's uh, keynote address before right. when he when he triumphantly came back to Gaza and declared, uh, "We will not compromise at all. Not one inch." And a lot of liberals are standing around and well, saying, it's, "It's not well, just his." I, 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 Wait, wait, I thought... Hold on, it's funny that you mentioned that because you said also liberals and so on and Khaled Mashal, but let's let's forget that. Let's look at Fatah. Let's look at Abbas. We're showing, unveiling the new flag behind them, the new thing. I don't see Israel there in any of their visuals, any of their graphics. I see a map of Israel and all I see written on it is Palestine, Palestine. I don't see Israel in any of their visuals. And in fact, if you actually translate, if you don't listen to the English and you listen to the Arabic, they're not talking Judean Samaria, what some people like to call the West Bank. When they say the West Bank, remember, they know exactly what they're saying. The West Bank of the Jordan, starting from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And right now what we're witnessing is a a deterioration in the security uh, world. We're seeing more and more attacks on the roads and so on. And uh, that's gaining support. And this is a problem. 
which again affects Israeli politics, of course. And one last question before we switch gears and move back to America. So we're going to segue a little bit is how your the feeling in Israel with regard to the U.S. election has that. What has that changed, if anything? Israel was I, you know, it, it's interesting. They did a poll in Israel and they said, I think came out about 80 percent of Israelis wanted uh, Mitt Romney. And in America, I think it was a 70% or 74% wanted Obama. What's interesting there, if you think about it, is that the Obama campaign was really interested in taking land away from Israel, mind you, the separation of Judea and Samaria from the rest of Israel. And Romney was against it. So here you have a majority of Israelis. Well, that was also Bush administration policy. Given, but here it was really, really well-defined. And so you're seeing a, a, a very big difference in political feeling between Israel and America, which you haven't seen in a long time. It wasn't like it was half and half. Now you're seeing most Israelis wanted someone else, and most of the American Jews wanted you know, the opposition. And that's I wonder how many other problem. countries out there, maybe we'll, we'll pose this question to our, our next guest, is uh, how many other countries out there pull on what they want out of the American leadership? I wonder if they do that in France and Germany and England. Did that? I think uh, all they want is money. I, I think they. I think there was that was the, probably the case in in two thousand eight, where there were Europe certainly seemed to have wanted to change. But uh, uh, so just one. So as far as the the U.S. is concerned, uh, Naftali Bennett, who you're obviously supporting, uh, said that Israel no longer needs foreign aid or military aid for for, for think, from the U.S. anymore. We need to. Yeah, well, think of you have to realize what that what that is about. You know, you have we talk about it. We're getting three billion dollars a year, right? Uh-huh. Now, a lot of people don't realize where that stems from. The agreement that was made, the treaty between Egypt and Israel, when Israel was said that they had to give up the Sinai, so uh, they went and said, hey, "Wait a second, we have natural resources. We're going to get some oil. We're finally going to be able to get on our economic feet." And America, the American government said, "We'll we'll take care of you." We're going to give. They were bribed, basically, saying we're going to give you money, we're going to give you aid, we're going to take care of that, and uh, don't worry about it. However, there was a stipulation, and here's where most people do not get that about 75% of that money we're coming talking around two billion dollars has to be spent in the American defense market. So America is giving Israel three billion dollars a year, which two billion dollars is supporting the American economy in the defense industry, which is huge, big time huge, and is actually affected us in a bad way. Instead of buying our goods that we can manufacture and giving more jobs, we're spending a lot of money, overpriced money, on American goods. Well, that's our U.S. taxpayer dollars at work. They're they're working for us as well at the same time. So this is Spin Class with Michael Fragan. We're talking politics here and the Israeli elections. Mark Proviser has been our guest in the studio. Mark, fantastic having you and a great rundown. I look forward to having you after the election that we can uh, unpack it. And you know go, where to get in touch with me. <laughs> go, ab- absolutely. Best of luck. And we have on the phone Maggie Haberman from Politico, a senior reporter, covers just about everything there is under the sun in politics here in the U.S., a veteran of the New York Post, and a extremely interesting and informed Twitter uh uh, Twitter, uh, tweeter, I guess would be the best way to say it. Uh, Maggie, welcome to Spin Class. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So, Maggie, I, I hope you caught some of the end of that. We we just did about a half hour about the Israeli elections coming up on January 22nd. And, mm-hmm. and it's uh, really going to be fascinating. Of course, the Israeli elections and Israeli politics always have a nice little 
impact on what's going on in Washington these days. Uh, Indeed. I don't, I don't know what you mean. Are you referring to something specific? No, I never. I'm, <laughs> I'm just opening the door for you to go ahead and, and become the pundit that you are. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, I'm I mean, trying to release I, the inner pundit. I think it's very, uh, and there's no question that, ever, that, that, that the Israeli elections are, are, are being carefully watched here. And then I think that the, the main immediate uh, uh, impact that, that in terms of in terms of DC and in terms of the Hill that, that I hear people talking about is the expectation that Ron Dermer will become the ambassador to the U.S. Uh, after the election, the, the the man known as Didi's brain, um, and and how it's on the one hand that was coined actually by I think a previous guest of ours, uh, Alison Hoffman from that is, uh, cor- I think that is correct. Um, it is uh, it is uh, uh, you know it's seen it's seen by some as a sort of in your face pick because of the the uh, tense relationship between Netanyahu and Obama historically. But I actually, you know, Dermer is, as you know, uh, has a lot of experience as an operative. Uh, he, he understands the Hill very well. Uh, and I, I, think it, I think there's a, I think it's a bit more of a, of a, of a complicated selection and what it means. Um, and I apologize because I'm um, uh, in a moving car at the moment. So I'm distracted. Um, politics, but, politics is always on the move. So. Indeed, and that was a, that was a very good transition. Um, but uh, and then in the more immediate sense, obviously, uh, you know, the the, the uh, politics in Israel is is playing out in a major way right now in in the U.S. in terms of the the selection of Chuck Hagel for defense secretary. So Chuck Hagel, yes, Chuck Hagel, Chuck Hagel. Um, so, so somebody certainly on the mind of uh, many a pro-Israel supporter yep. out there, and I think. That there was a lot of, let's just say there was more noise prior to the selection of Chuck Hagel than there is right now after the selection of Chuck Hagel. And just for the audience, Chuck Hagel was a U.S. senator from Nebraska uh, who is a, Repu- a Republican. I was going to get to that, but uh, you know, some, some, <laughs> Sorry, would, some would say Republican in name only. But uh, the truth is, from my perspective, uh, I'd say a pretty conservative Republican. I, I, he, he, he famously broke with the Bush administration on the Iraq war issue and then became a... Although he voted for the Iraq war. I mean, he voted for the Iraq war and then he changed... He voted on the surge. He voted for the Iraq war. Co- correct. So uh, yeah, the number of strange things about Chuck Hagel, as far as a pick, is concerned. Right. Um, I, I, just to give you some... Quick editorialization. I am not of the mind that this was the best fight to pick by the pro-Israel community. So I'll just uh, I'll just leave that out there. But certainly something is a something is is a little bit strange that this president or the president Obama seems to be interested in picking a fight on 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 this issue. So well, what I mean, what is it about Hegel that 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 appeals to the president? There's a couple of things, and certainly your description just now in terms of picking a fight. I mean, I think that our our our, our mutual uh, 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 acquaintance Ben Smith uh, made a point in Buzzfeed the other day that he thinks this is really about sort of drawing a line on on Iran um, by by the president. I think that's yeah. Part he of said it. that originally on the show last week. So right, um, um, and I, and I think that's part of it. I think that uh, I also just think that look, Democrats generally are bemused by this pick. They don't understand exactly what the president was doing. Um, they're, uh, Wait, they're, hold on. You said the Democrats are bemused? Democrats, the, the, uh, the, the Hill Democrats are, the yes. members of, of President Obama's party. Members are, of, well, aides to members of President Obama's party, okay. that way, are, are, are a bit perplexed, um, not, not uniformly, but, um, but some are perplexed by this choice because 
for all the reasons that you just said, um, and because it is it is a fight. It's going to be a fight, um, you know, and, and it, he's got a bunch of other legislative uh, uh, agenda items, immigration, gun control, that he has made clear he wants to have part of his first year of his second term, not even just eventually get done. So he's expending a fair amount of post-election capital on this. Um, he personally likes Chuck Hagel. Remember, as you said, Chuck Hagel, Republican in name only. Certainly that's how most Republicans view him. Uh, I agree that he was pretty conservative on social issues. Um, Republicans in general, his former colleagues, um, don't, don't like him, um, didn't like him, think that he's something of a, of a, uh, a self-promoter, um, and that that accounts for some of the more sort of uh, no-labels-ish uh, stands he's taken uh, in terms of bipartisanship. And, and you, Michael, I'm sure remember that there was this float at one point in 07 or, or early 08 when the race was shaping up as what we thought was going to be the Hillary-John McCain race. It was very clearly becoming the Obama-McCain race where there was all this talk about a, a third-party uh, candidacy, which made much more sense when Hillary was the nominee. And there was this discussion about a Hagel-Bloomberg ticket. Um, I do and recall. That, and, that, and that disappeared. Um, Hagel is someone the president likes personally. He feels very comfortable with him. Um, you know, they, they, uh, I think the, the expectation is that he will generally share the president's view in terms of Afghanistan and in terms of a troop drawdown, although that's a very vague statement um, since that policy is still being worked out for exactly what post-2014 will look like. Uh, in terms of what Cagle articulates... So th- that, would, that, just, that would be a question of how many troops to leave in Afghanistan correct. after more than a decade of, of, of U.S. conflict there. I think we read right. 12,000, 9,000, 6,000, 6,000, 3,000. 3,000, and, and what the goal is, right? I mean, what is the, what is the actual... What is the, what, is the, what is the policy goal um, with the troops you're leaving? Um, and, and that relates to the numbers. I think that... More broadly, it's not really clear yet what the, Hegel, the choice of Hegel articulates about how President Obama is going to view um, the department going forward and how he's going to view defense policy going forward beyond the fact that if you just accept the, the, the broad notion that he, they're going to have to be cuts, they're likely to be cuts um, in, in some of the budget fights that are coming up, then having a former soldier, because remember Hegel, the, the other part of his curriculum vice shows that he's a, he's a Vietnam War vet, a, a decorated Vietnam War vet, um, and that's something that the White House articulated very clearly in their talking points about him when he was picked, that he is someone who uh, would be in more of a position to speak with some moral authority on that. But beyond that, we don't quite know yet what this means, and we have only started to hear from Hegel himself because it's a very unusual situation of a nominee giving an interview ahead of a hearing. He gave it to a, a local paper in Nebraska that he's comfortable with, but it's because there has been, he's been, his name has been hanging out there for a month. And so he has started to get defined by uh, people who are concerned about what this appointment means, mostly in terms of Israel. Um, you know, you've got very prominently APAC now that he has been selected, making clear publicly that they are not taking a position. And that is interesting, although um, APAC does not historically speak out in favor or against, as, as far as I know, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, um, on this kind of an issue, APAC is a lobbying group, but they're not lobbying as, you know, there's been no account that they're lobbying Hill members and saying, please don't vote for this guy um, and don't don't support him. Um, but what you have had... Is, I, I, think, uh, I think you are correct about that. The, right. That, I mean, what, what you have had is you've had, you've had groups like the Emergency Committee for Israel, which is a newer group, uh, formed by uh, allies of Bill Crystal, and Bill Crystal is a, is a part of it. It was formed in 2010, um, serving as sort of a counterweight, and they've done a very aggressive PR war. The question is whether they have 
extended sort of all the ammo that they have early on and whether now we're just going to enter a period of calm. Um, or, you know, their their argument would be that Obama's uh, best day with Hagel and Hagel's best day was Monday when he actually was announced um, and that things will just sort of go downhill. It, nobody entirely knows how this will play out. My strong expectation is that Hagel will clear um, the confirmation hearings. Extremely, extremely little precedent in, in, in any recent memory for a uh, cabinet nominee getting, getting you know, blocked uh, after a hearing. Uh, when the the uh, party in power um, in the White House has the same uh, affiliation as, as the Senate majority. So it, it's hard for me to imagine, but I do think it's going to be a very ugly process. But as we like to do here is kind of get behind the the headlines a little bit, mm-hmm. is that he's going to, as you mentioned, the president is going to have to expend some political capital to sure. imp- impose his will upon the Senate Democrats who will have to vote for Chuck Hagel here. That's right. He's a guy that you say Republicans don't like him. Well, the Repu- well the Democrats were on the other side of it, and right. the president or the administration didn't seem to go to bat for Susan Rice at state for some. For, they pulled that nomination, or she pulled the nomination. However, you want to slice it. So. Susan Rice would seem to be much more in tune with the president uh, in in a lot of ways. There seems to be something about Chuck Hagel that they really that they really like, and uh, from my understanding, a lot of that comes points back to Joe Biden. I think that's true, um, and, I'll, and I'll and I'll and I'll get to that point in one second. Uh, what I would say on Susan Rice, though, that's worth remembering is the Susan Rice nomination uh, had a real uh, negative taint uh, for uh, Obama because the controversy over her relates to Benghazi, and that. That is a very clear sort of, you know, line back to the um, to the White House, uh, at least in terms of uh, people making the case against it. Whether that's fair or not is a different story. Um, but but certainly the White House, you know, this this is on a, on, on a policy perspective um, and and on a on a on an issues perspective. What happens at the State Department and calls that are made by the State Department are going to go back to the White House. And I don't think that's an episode. Uh, what happened on on September 11th last year. Um, that the White House wants to be reliving constantly into the first few months of its new term. Um, so, uh, in terms of Biden, yes, I mean there is a there is a very close relationship there. Biden has emerged on a couple of issues, but he certainly will on handle um, as a as a uh, a key uh, you know sort of lobbyist and negotiator on behalf of the White House. It's pretty interesting, especially given that Joe Biden's stock fell quite a bit last year in the White House after the gay marriage uh, episode. And, of course, everybody thought he would be replaced with Hillary Clinton as the... That's right. That's exactly right. So Joe, um, Joe Biden emerges in the second term as possibly uh, the most powerful vice president since, yeah. since Dick Cheney. I, well, I don't know I don't know who everybody is, by the way, that people thought that he was going to be replaced. It was a rumor that was being spread. I don't think, that, I don't think everybody... Sorry, is, everybody you know, here in circles in New York... Who, I understand. Who, the same people who all thought that Mitt Romney was a shoe in for president. Well played, Michael. Um, I, I don't. I don't think. I'm not saying that people thought that Mitt Romney was going to win. I'm talking about that they felt that it was a shoe and it was a foregone conclusion. So Correct. Uh, I understand okay. that. I get it. Um, uh, look, you know, you no. Know, Biden is emerging. Uh, look, it's very early, right? I mean, we haven't had the inauguration yet for the second term, but Biden is yes, it's true. Officially, we're still a, we're still in the first term. He is poised to play a very very substantial role in shaping what the next couple of years is going to look like for this White House. I guess that that's a symptom of Obama not really having served in the Congress for very long before he made the jump to president. 
I think there's I think there is some of that. Um, although remember, he and Hagel got along in the Senate, and there's a, there, that is that is real uh, when Obama was in the Senate. Um, I, I think that's part of it. I think that also just I think that this is this sort of level of the Washington game is something that appeals more, and maybe that is in part because he didn't serve as long, but it does appeal more to Biden than it does to Obama. So before we leave Chuck Hagel for a second, the the I think the thing that has the pro-Israel community or the Jewish community all up in arms is is the statement that he made with regard to the Jewish lobby, referring to APEC right. as the Jewish lobby as opposed to the Israel lobby. Right. Uh, and... He also made some relatively inflammatory anti-gay statements uh, with regard to a specific ambassadorial nomination of James Hormel to Luxembourg. Right. Uh, he apologized for that one, but doesn't seem to have come to the same level of apology or public apology for the Jewish-Israel thing. I think, and, and I think you had somebody, uh, Elliot Abrams, uh, just to get back to the Emergency Committee for Israel, going ahead and saying that uh, Chuck Hagel is anti-Semitic, which I might be a stretch. I mean, look, it, it, Hegel certainly says that that's not the case. Um, the point that you just made is when Ed Koch But why not made, apologize? That's the point that Ed Koch made to me the other day, that he, he his exact quote was that Hegel is more afraid of the gay community than the Jewish community. Um, and because of, the, because of the apology, I think we have to hear what he's going to say. I suspect that you don't apologize because uh, to apologize... I mean, the, the, he's arguing if he apologizes, then I think the, the concern is that he is... And I'm not justifying it, I'm just talking about that with you. Um, I think that the concern is that then the perception is that he is conceding that that, that was uh, anti-Semitic, that that was, um, you know, intended as a, as a slight. Open, the phrase openly, aggressively gay is a very, very negative thing to say, and I think um, there was uh, sort of, especially where the, where the movement has been on this issue, and given Obama's uh, uh, position, um, you know, in history in terms of gay rights on, on being the first president to uh, personally say he favored gay marriage last year, I think that was impossible for him to not get Hagel to apologize for. Um, but, uh, you know, or Hagel to not realize he had to apologize for. Uh, but, yes, this is a, a real concern to a lot, of, a lot of people in the Jewish community that he made this comment about Jewish lobby, that it is an offensive statement to a lot of people, and that he has not said he is sorry. So how he, how he reconciles uh, uh, his, his statements about not being anti-Semitic, about Israel policy uh, with that is, is going to be very closely watched. So not to spend all the time... Criticizing, or not criticizing, but uh, talking and focusing entirely on the administration. Let's talk about the Republicans for a second. I think that they are—they've been a source of great fodder over the last couple of weeks uh, internally, and the party. Yeah. I think you've actually seen not just uh, domestically, not just on the taxes issue or the fiscal issue. Uh, you're also seeing the, the Republicans not really agreeing, and Chuck Hagel to a certain degree brings this out, of uh, certainly not agreeing entirely on foreign policy, although I think most Republicans are certainly going to be to the right of Chuck Hagel. But there are still Republicans within the Republican world who are who share Chuck the Chuck Hagel philosophy uh, with regard to uh, with regard to interventionism. And, right. Uh, but the, the, there seems to be a battle on and certainly in a big way uh, for the soul of the Republican Party. There is, although I think that it's less being fought over Chuck Hagel, at least in the Senate. Um, and then, uh, I mean, you, you have heard very few Senate Republicans, you know, 
vocally say they're going to back Hegel, and I think that the debate within the Republican Party is less being waged over foreign policy um, because there is, you know, there there are different concerns there um, than it is over domestic policy and spending. I think that's where you're seeing the fight for the soul of the Republican Party. Um, I think that the, the foreign policy element and interventionism is a secondary issue in the minds of most Hill Republicans right now. I do think that for Hegel's nomination, on the one hand, fills some Republicans with discomfort because they don't want to relive the battles uh, and the wars of the Bush years uh, on foreign policy. Some don't. On the other, uh, on the other hand, uh, foreign policy hawks do and think that this is a good pivot point to have this fight. Um, in terms of the the what the, what we have seen as a as a display of sort of internal uh, war um, in the Republican Party. Um, of late, uh, that is about uh, uh, that is mostly about taxing and spending. That is sort of Tea Party members of Congress um, uh, debating very, very heatedly uh, over the fiscal cliff uh, bill um, and saying that they had issue with the lack of spending cuts. Um, you know, Boehner, Boehner, who has come under a lot of criticism as not being able to hold his members in line. I mean, he did ultimately hold his members in line. He did get reelected speaker. Well, um, sort of. He got reelected well, he speaker, sort of but get he... Re-elected. he got reelected. No, no, I'm sorry. What I meant to say is holding the members in line, sort of. Well, but... look, I mean, he they they passed a bill, right? So, I mean, at a certain point, not, it's... not with Republican votes. Um, it was not with. It broke the Hastert rule. There is no question about that. But at the end of the day, what what most voters are going to remember is that the, is that we didn't go over the cliff, and I think that that's what they're banking on. Um, the question is what well, happens but... now in the next what? round of fighting over the debt ceiling and overspending and over sequestration. Right, so the March fight over, and, and Boehner has... Late, late February, March, yeah. Boehner has pledged to be more aggressive in his He has, and we'll see. I mean, people, are, people, I think, are going to hold him to that. We'll see how that actually plays out. Um, I think that, uh, remember, you know, there's these districts, and this, this keeps getting brought up, but it really is true. These districts are so gerrymandered now um, on, on both sides, but... but there's really very little impetus for House Republicans to take positions that are contrary to leadership, um, you know, uh, or, or sort of go along with leadership, uh, if it's going to be uh, open them up to a potential primary challenge, and that's a lot of the concern here. So let's just take uh, a non-Beltway Republican for a second, Chris Christie. Okay. Okay. Seems to be posturing himself for certainly did over the Sandy bill or the defeat and the initial non-vote on the Sandy Relief Act uh, seems to be taking on the House Republicans. Is that I mean, it's Chris Christie style, but is he really trying to revive the moderate wing of the Republican Party, the Northeastern Republicans? I don't think. Well, I mean, I think two things. A, I don't think he has a choice because he is a Northeastern Republican and he can, you know, you can pretend you're not, but but he is. Um, and, uh, and also I think that, and I mean, he's not, you know, he is not pretending, but it is easy to forget, given what he has said, what he said about Obama after the hurricane, given sort of this bipartisan message that he really stressed, uh, has been stressing and stressed again yesterday in his state of the state address, uh, in New Jersey. Um, you know, he was very partisan, uh, in his language about Obama during his campaigning on behalf of Mitt Romney, and that's really changed now. Um, I think that he's playing the cards that he has, and he has no political future if he doesn't get reelected. And he's not going to get reelected in New Jersey um, if he does not play up bipartisanship, and if he does not sort of, frankly, I mean, Sandy is is 
uh, uh, he, he got high accolades for how he performed during the storm, and his approval rating went up to something like 77%. So um, I think it's less about... And, and he, scared Cor- he scared Cory Booker, Cory Booker out of the race, so... Well, I don't... I mean, I'm, I'm not convinced Cory Booker was ever actually going to run, but yes, I mean, I think that that, that certainly didn't, didn't help uh, Cory Booker's uh, uh, it, case it, for running. Well, um, it helped his decision-making. I'm sorry? It helped Cory Booker's decision-making. I, I think it certainly factored in. Um, but uh, I, I think that... Um, I don't think that what Christie is trying to do is remake the Republican Party so much as play the hand he has. So I, I, I'm not sure that there, that's a good thing for the Republican Party. Right now, if, if they continue along this course where the House has some very safe seats. Uh, we've seen on the statewide elections, on the Senate elections, they're having a very difficult time fielding candidates who can actually win a general election. Well, this is now what the Republican Party is dealing with as part of the, the soul-searching that we keep hearing about as if this is a new thing. The Republican Party has been soul-searching for, you know, a decade uh, or more, um, you know, on this front. The Tea Party was, you know, was fiscal conservatives before that. It was, it was you know, sort of the tattoos of the world and the Club for Growth crowd. Um, who, who realistically were there before sort of this wave of 09, although it is worth noting that Christie was elected during this, this 09, the beginning of this wave in 09. Um, I, uh, I think that the Republican Party is going to have to find a way um, to uh, exist on a broader message on a wide group of, of, of demographic slices. This is, their problems this cycle were women, uh, Hispanic voters, um, younger voters, Asian voters. I mean, we're not talking about a single just about just here. about it's basically every every, every growing area of, of the country. Every and, every group outside of the middle aged white men. That's right, and so and so that is what the party has to deal with, um, you know, and and how it comes to terms with that. We are we are I think only just beginning to to see where this will go. So, last question for you, Maggie, because I know just be mindful of, of the time. I appreciate it. His, uh, is David Brooks wrote a, a, a great op-ed talking about the fact that it's about that the country needs to come to terms with its with its debt, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's got to happen. And it's we might already be too late. Where, where I don't see that in Washington that anybody is kind of stepping up to that realization. And uh, uh, yeah. so <laughs> that 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 eventually it's there's going to be no way out of this other than to raise taxes to unsustainable levels and to cut spending to less sustainable levels. So, uh, yeah. no, I mean, I think that that's 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 why the, the February March issue is going to be so important. And that's why this feeling with what Washington did and while House Republicans um, certainly bear uh, a fair amount of uh, uh, focus, um, you know, the reality is president has not not been, you know, shaking the trees on this either. Um, there is a feeling that all of Washington kicks the can down the road. Um, well, why not? But, it's much easier that way. Uh, well, except it's not much easier that way, as you just said, because eventually, unlike you and, you and me who have to pay our credit cards when the bill comes in, um, Washington has not been functioning that way and at a certain point. Um, well, they borrow at much better rates than I do. That is... <laughs> well, 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 that's true. Um but it is, I have to say, if I had, the, if I got those rates, I would probably also you, not be paying you, off you, my you credit cards. Why would you? Well, that's understandable. Um, but uh, the, uh, uh, you know, look, I, I think that it's at a certain point this is going to come due. But here's the thing: this is, and I didn't see the Brooks piece in question, but I, I suspect you dealt with this. 
what is the impetus for making something happen if, um, uh, you know, if you if your only uh, concern is getting reelected, and if that is basically assured because your seat is safe if you just take X Y Z position. Well, that that, that, hap- that works on both sides of the aisle. That's true, but that having been said, we're we're only dealing with one side right now. Um, you know, this is. Uh, this, this is the larger point about why I'm not really sure what's going to shake up Washington um, in terms of recognizing they have to make changes. Remember, that's what sequestration was supposed to force everybody to do, and then they found a way to, to punt on that as well. They, meaning all sides, found a way to punt on that. Absolutely. So I think the president is now looking at having to deal with these issues for, for quite some time to come. I think that's correct, but so is Congress. But yes, I mean, the issue is that it's, this is going to impact the recovery. This is going to impact budgets. This is going to impact a lot of decisions that come from the president. Uh, ultimately, even if it's a, something that, that is, uh, bears equal weight from both sides, you know, the president will end up feeling more, I think, immediate impact in the, in the polls on this because the economy is always going to be something for which the president is, uh, is held accountable in a way that Congress is not. Okay, so just uh, one very, very last question. Jack Lou, confirmed? Mm-hmm. Yep. Good pick? Uh, Jack Lou, good pick for Treasury? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, Jack Lou is very well respected. I, I, I want to... Uh, uh, you can stay neutral. I want to know more about uh, the... Uh, no, no, no. I mean, look, it's, it's uh, Jack Lou. Jack, there are a lot of people uh, on, on both sides of the aisle who like Jack Lou a lot. Um, I think the president clearly likes Jack Lou a lot, and that, that ultimately is the vote that matters. Okay. Does that help us? Uh, does that help any of these issues at all? I mean, it, 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 theoretically, it does. We'll see. Okay. I mean, I, I think that I think that I think that uh, that, that that Geisner, um, you know, well, we'll, we'll see. Well, well see. that's but why let we'll, me leave it. Let me leave it at that. That's why we'll have to have you on again, Maggie Haberman okay. from Politico. Thank you for joining us. This is Spin Class with Michael Fragan on the Nachum Siegel Network. The Thursday night extravaganza. Stay tuned for the Book of Life with Charlie Harari, and we will speak to you next week. Thank you. Mm-hmm.